Kia and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Dr. John McMenamin about optimising the telemedicine consult and preventative health. John is a general practitioner in Whanganui and the chair of the Clinical Governance for Whanganui Regional Health Network. A graduate of the Auckland School of Medicine with a distinguished fellowship from the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, John also holds a postgraduate doctorate of medicine from the University of Auckland, researching screening and general practice. One of the key roles John plays in the area of tobacco control is enabling people to draw on his experience and understanding of general practice and his national leadership around ABC smoking as well as his advisory role on the National Screening Unit. Welcome, John. Kia ora, Louise. So, John, telemedicine arrived without much notice in New Zealand. It looks like it's here to stay, and for many of us, consulting over the phone or a video link can be a very new thing. Our interviewing, observational, and listening skills will all be challenged as we find our way in this style of medicine. Personally, I've loved the new paradigm, tucked away, safely at home, preventable from the waist up, it's been great. I have, however, noticed that my consults are shorter and perhaps less satisfying. On reflection, I realised that I'd forgotten to include the screening elements and focused only on what was happening today. And I'm sure I'm not alone here. So, John, we've just come through a lockdown. Times have been incredibly stressful for many of us and our patients. So why do we need to screen for risk behaviours now? Well, Louise, um, as well as the usual reasons for screening, um, such as getting a wider perspective on patients' health and focusing on health risks in particular, uh, in this post-pandemic period, we have um, patients, many of whom have been very stressed by their experience. For some of these patients, this has included increased mental health distress, sometimes increased alcohol use, increased smoking, we can use telemedicine contacts as an opportunity to screen for these conditions and generally to broaden our approach and have a slightly more integrated and uh, detailed assessment of people. So what tips do you have for breaking the ice, John? What do you specifically ask and how do you do this in a virtual consult? Well, I guess uh, if we know the patient, it's much easier because we can approach using our knowledge of the patient in previous consultations, something along the lines of, we talked about smoking last time we met, what's happened over the lockdown period, or where are you up to now? Um, If we don't know the patient personally, or we think the conversation might be a little bit awkward, then I recommend leading in um, very gently with some open questions along the lines of, is it okay if I check out about your general health? Um, How's your fitness? Explore that as appropriate. How's your diet? any concerns about what you're eating, and then on to the questions that might be a little bit more difficult, questions such as, can I check are you currently smoking? How's your use of alcohol? How's your drinking been over this time? How are you feeling generally? Are there any times when you felt less happy over this time? Can we explore that a little bit? So uh, very non-threatening, opening, open questions at the start. So John, it's useful to link the high-risk behaviour to poorer health outcomes. For example, with COVID-19 as a motivator, we know that smokers, the poorly controlled diabetic or the obese patient have been shown to do worse if they contract COVID-19. So what language can you use to convey these facts? 
Well, we, we tend to assume that patients understand the relationship between health risks and poor health outcomes, but of course it's not always the case. And recent work by Teheringa Haora, that's the Health Promotion Agency, has identified that many people have little understanding, for example, of the impact of alcohol on their comorbidities. So I think it can be helpful if we link the behaviours with health. Um, but it really does depend a little bit on the stage of change. So it really works best for people who are pre-contemplative, um, those who are not really thinking, say, for example, about the effect of their drinking on their health or the effect of smoking on their health resilience. So again, I would start with an open question to explore this. Uh, so rather than saying along the lines of um, people with uh, people who smoke or people who have this condition are more at risk in relationship to COVID disease, I would um, ask with an open question along the lines of, tell me what you understand about smoking and the risk of COVID disease. Um, or the alternative way would be to, to actually ask permission. It's always a really good way to um, initiate a conversation that potentially you want to move somebody along. Um, can we talk a little about smoking during this time when COVID disease is a threat? So I think those kinds of open questions are, is the lead-in way to explore the relationship between um, health and um, risk behaviours. Some really good points there, John. Thank you. So thinking about intervening, how much time do you think we need to allow in the consult to assess, motivate and intervene a patient? Well, if, if we're busy, and, and let's face it, we usually are, then allowing a couple of minutes is all that's needed. In this situation, the conversation's aimed at identifying issues, not necessarily resolving them at the time. So uh, we might just um, initiate and open up a subject for later pickup. Behaviour change, after all, takes a long time, weeks, months, sometimes years, and, and that's okay. Uh, we all take a long time to change our behaviour. So we can pick up the thread of conversation next time if we don't have time now. So sometimes just um, open questions, teasing something else and then acknowledging this is an important thing that, we're gonna, that we've talked about and we will pick it up and, at such and such a time or in these circumstances. But if we do have time, and, and sometimes the clinical issue that we're dealing with virtually can be fairly straightforward, um, then we can move past opening up and actually engage around the health and encourage and try and motivate change. And um, I, I think that's a really valuable thing to do. So when we, when we find ourselves in the luxurious position of having resolved the clinical problem fairly quickly, um, that's the time uh, for us to be exploring and uh, attempting to shift patient behavior and motivating people around the wheel towards change. I often find that my attempts to engage in behavioral change are blocked by the patient. I'm not interested, I'm too busy, are often heard when we start discussing risk behaviours. So what do I do now? What are your tips here? Well, I, I would suggest um, uh, turning the conversation around. So when you get uh, blocks like that, uh, and I love to get these blocks, think of it as a challenge about something to work with rather than something that's putting us off. The, the secret here is to have a menu of responses ready so that you know how to respond to each block. I really like the idea of having a cheat sheet with a few comments written down, a few questions written down that can move you past this. So if, say, for example, um, somebody's blocked you from having a conversation around smoking and you're very concerned about um, smoking in this particular person or in this situation that you're having the conversation about, you might say something along the lines of, what do you think would need to happen before you were interested in thinking about quitting? So in other words, you take what they give you, the block they give you, and say, what would need to happen to shift past this block? 
Um, if somebody says they're too busy, I understand how busy you must be. Are there times when you're less busy? Are there times when you're a little less busy? Um, times when you think maybe um, perhaps I should be cutting down on my drinking. So it's about taking what, what, they're, um, what they're giving you and using it in a way that just um, opens up a conversation. If it's com a complete block and you can't get any further, but you think, look, this is actually an important issue and I do need to get some information across, so I've got somebody who's very pre-contemplative, you might ask permission to send some information. Um, can I just text you a link that might be interesting? Um, open it when you've got time. It's got some useful information, and the information might be about the Stop Smoking Service or an alcohol helpline or why having a, mem having a mammogram is important. Um, whatever is the behaviour you're trying to encourage, and then you would just text a link to some information. And having set that up and sharing that link, it's a little bit like continuing the conversation without actually having to be there. Motivational interviewing, John, is a strategy that we often use, and you've mentioned it already, parts of it already. So especially we use this when we're um, GP registrars, and then we may move on to something like fat techniques to increase effectiveness. Thinking about smoking for a moment, what are your most useful techniques for motivating your patients? Well, certainly a sense of a person's motivational stage is very helpful for matching conversations, and it's usually pretty obvious from the comments they're making uh, where they are. Um, in general, as, as you know, pre-contemplators need information. Uh, contemplators need some kind of decisional support, um, and those ready for change need behavioral support. This is um, where the fact techniques are particularly useful when somebody has made a decision that they want to do something. And um, working with people, we very often get them to a point where the person agrees about the behaviour change, whether it's smoking cessation, whether it's changing uh, alcohol use. And then the difficulty is actually how do, how do I get them from this point to some sort of effective action? And that's the concepts that sit in the, in the fact approach are very useful here. So you might ask questions like, um, what actions could you take that you could commit to right now? Um, what promises would you do you find yourself making here? Uh, you could assess the likelihood of success. Um, somebody has said, I would really like to um, look at the idea of stopping smoking. How likely is it that you will take the medication, attend a smoking clinic appointment, for example? You may be having a conversation around alcohol. Um, how likely is it that you'll go to the supermarket and avoid going down the, down the aisle that has the alcohol in it? How likely is it that you will contact the mammography service back? So uh, teasing out action points using the fact approach can be very, very helpful. And especially when we offer subsequent support, uh, would you like me to check in with you about this? You've indicated you'd like to do this. You think it's likely that you will commit to this behavior. What say I check in with you uh, in a few days to see how that's going? So just talking about smoking sensation for a moment, I find it often takes a lot of time and we, as you've said, and we all know, we don't often have a lot of time. So how can we streamline these discussions to make the conversations as efficient and effective as possible? I'm certainly a great believer in, um, in efficient and effective consultations. And um, the short answer to this is um, the more listening we do and the less talking we do, uh, the more likely we are to have an efficient outcome. Patients know what they need to do. We just, we just really need to draw it out of them. So um, I'm very keen on us actively practicing the 
ors micro skills to do that. So that's the open questions, affirmations, reflections, and summarizing the ors um, skills. I think those uh, micro skills, we need to um, brush them up periodically, think about them, just check out are we using this kind of language um, to make sure, because this is the language that shifts people for change, and this is the language that actually shortens consultations, and you never end up in an oppositional position, which always lengthens a consultation. So thinking around open questions, how can I best support you with quitting? How can I best support you around alcohol? How can I best support you get a mammogram, whatever it is? Um, affirmations, thinking about uh, what is the person doing that's taking responsibility for their health? It sounds like you've been thinking really, really positively about this, giving some, some feedback that affirms the person as being the owner of their own health situation. Reflections, uh, this is a really good way of ensuring that you do understand where someone's coming from. You do want to quit, but you're concerned you'll just fail again. Um, you would like to cut back on your drinking, and that's fine when you're talking to me on a Monday, but come Friday, it's quite different. Um, so that's um, just ensuring you have really heard the person. And then summarising. Um, summarising is really critical because it, um, I like to think of summarising as a sort of a koha that you give back to your patient. It's like saying, I've heard you, I'm sharing this back with you. Let's make sure that um, we're on the same page and we're moving ahead together. Uh, it's my go-to if, if I'm ever lost in a consultation, summarise where we're up to now because it creates fresh material and it gives you a sense of direction. Um, so it might be something like, it sounds like you're keen to quit, you've tried before and you've even managed for a month one time, you'd like to try again and you're interested in how I can help. And from that platform, you, we, can, we can easily move on. Then also, I think just the whole idea of having a streamlined approach. The more we practice things, the, the better we get. Um, knowing how to record things in the notes uh, um, easily, um, how to prescribe stop making, not smoking medication, using a special authority so it doesn't take too long to do it, being able to send texts to people quickly, having some pre-established um, texting, um, being able to task, to monitor, um, and being able to do referrals, all of those things that are kind of generic to our um, general practice skills, uh, when they're streamlined around motivational work and around behavioural change, um, they shorten the period very much. So empowering our patients is always important, John, and especially in smoking cessation. So what tips for language do you have for our listeners here? Well, I think my best tip is to use a cheat sheet. Um, have a list of questions handy, um, or questions or statements at hand and refer to them so that you've got a set there. So opening gambits such as, hey, while we're talking, can I check in with you about your smoking again? Write your own so you're comfortable with them. Listen to how you talk, what, what works, and make a few jottings so that you can, um, you can come back to that. And then every time you get stuck, uh, write down what the patient said that derailed the conversation and have a little think about it and then think, what could I have said in this situation that would have worked better? How could I have taken what the patient told me and used it as a basis for shifting them? And then you've got a new line to add to your cheat sheet. So um, have a little cheat, a post-it note, something like that stuck, stuck there. And the, and the good thing about being able to do that in virtual consultations is that most of the time, um, nobody's going to know you've got it there. John, thinking about health equity and health outcomes for Maori and Pacific Islanders with reference to smoking, John, you've mentioned the ORS questions. Have you got any tips when we're talking to Maori and Pacific Island patients particularly 
Well, what, what I would recommend is to access uh, the reference called Takitaki Mai, which is uh, motivation interviewing for Māori, and it's a tremendous resource. You can just Google it if, if you want to. If you put motivation interviewing for Māori or Takitaki Mai into a search, um, you'll find it. It's a wonderful PDF document that explains what the ORS questions are about, but it does so within the framework of understanding Māori tikanga and it helps us as clinicians ask the questions in a way that will be very meaningful to our Māori patients, but also uh, the process of doing that in a sense will form the way in which we ask questions that will be useful for all of our patients. So um, it's a, it's a, a pickup of the original micro skills that came from motivation interviewing um, back in the 80s and 90s when the approach was first being developed, but placed very much within a New Zealand framework uh, that is an extremely useful guide for us, not only with Māori patients, but especially, but also really with all patients as well. So following up the telemedicine prevention consult, when should we check back in? And is there a time frame that's been shown to be the most useful for a check-in? It's really great to do this. Um, in general, I think we need to task list things like this to happen, or they tend not to happen, or else to delegate it if it's appropriate. That's That, that may be an appropriate thing to do. Uh, the time frame, I think, is best discussed with the patient. I mean, in general, for smoking follow-up, I usually check in around 10 days or so because most people seem to take a day or two to get a script and start medication and problems will have become clear by then. Um, but I do vary that to shorter sometimes. So generally speaking, I would check in with the patient. When would be good for you if I was to check in and see how things were going? Just thinking of delegation there. So is it appropriate to delegate that task to your nurse? I think it's appropriate to delegate the task to whatever is going to work best in that situation and um, how as a practice you are best wanting to manage this. So I think it's good to have a conversation around these things in advance. Um, the key people I believe to delegate smoking to, for example, is your stop smoking service because they're very willing to have, um, to have these conversations. They're highly skilled in this area. And what we know from the um, smoking research is that all forms of smoking cessation outcomes are doubled if you have adequate support and the best people that are set to provide support are the stop smoking service. So I, I certainly encourage anyone prescribing uh, for uh, stop smoking medications to add a referral into their local service at the same time. But I think also just as part of a team, uh, we would work out who is the best person to do the follow-up. Delegations are very appropriate. Again, it's something that we would discuss with the patient. How would you feel if so-and-so contacted you in a week or the Stop Smoking Service contacted you or whatever? Um, and I think uh, if, it's, if, if the patient has buy-in at the beginning, then it's a very successful way of doing it. And before we conclude today, John, as far as documentations and keeping ourselves medically legally safe when using virtual medicine, do you have any tips here? I just think um, routine updating of information, it's good to use any shortcuts that we can. So where you've got um, uh, tick boxes, say, for example, on a, on a dashboard reminder or some other process, then that's a quick way of doing it. For the clinical record, I, I usually just enter in a comment around motivational stage, patients' concerns, agreed decisions, and any supportive comments. Um, and then I use a task list uh, reminder to, to follow up but I usually just cut and paste the clinical note in the task as a reminder to myself and set it for whatever the interval would be. 
Um, I sometimes do highlight a key comment. Sometimes somebody says something very specific. Uh, for example, uh, I might get around to thinking about smoking when I turn 30 and you look at their age and they're 29 and they're turning 30 in October. Well, then I'll task this for October to contact that person. Um, so those are, the, those are the kinds of things that uh, personalise it. I think that we're very good generally at, ta at recording notes, but to use um, uh, support processes that can do that are, are very good to me. Of all of these things, task listing um, to me uh, is the most important of these because it's the follow-up that will make a difference to the behaviour change. Thanks, John. And to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home tips or messages be for our listeners, please? Well, I think I've got five brief points that, that I would make. Um, telemedicine consultations do include opportunities to screen for unpresented health concerns and uh, great for us to seize the opportunity. Um, decide in advance what screening is appropriate so that you've already um, looked at the notes and you've worked out what it is that uh, you want to, want to cover. Raise the issue gently and if you're not sure how to do that, use prepared open questions and have a little cheat sheet handy. Um, use the reflecting, affirming and summarising because that is the way to keep the conversations focused and brief. Uh, and then finally, task list the actions that require follow-up um, so that we actually get an outcome from these conversations. Thanks, John. It's been wonderful talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim some CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. You'll also find a list of resources that we've used in this podcast and some access for free webinars, med cases and gems. Thanks for listening to us.